0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. This Sunday, the 10th Sunday after the Feast of Trinity, shows us Jesus in the Gospel weeping over the city of Jerusalem. If only you had known the time and the things that made for your peace, he says to the city. Jesus is fulfilling, stepping into a long tradition of prophecy in which the prophets weep for the city and lament that Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the city on the hill, the one city in all the world where the presence of Yahweh, the true God, rests in his holy temple, and yet the people surrounding the holy temple are constantly chasing after foreign gods, are constantly looking to themselves and to their own enhancement of wealth. They are uh, looking to take advantage of the poor and the weak and the needy instead of taking care of them. And this was something that was happening already in the time of King David, the man who essentially established Jerusalem as a city. If you remember when the Hebrews came out of the desert wanderings, they were carrying around with them the Ark of God and would temporarily build up a tabernacle tent to place the Ark of God in. And that's where they would come and perform their rituals. That's where they would come and bring their offerings. That's where Moses and then the high priest after Moses would meet with God once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, by going into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkling the blood of a goat in order to make a covering, an atonement for the sins of the people for the past year. And this was the pattern of worship, sacrifice, and atonement that God gave to the people. And they did this for a long time, even after crossing the Jordan and coming out of the desert into the Promised Land. There was still not one place where the Ark of God would rest until King David uh, took over a Jebusite uh, city uh, from one of the peoples that had been living in that land. They were mocking David and the army, but they conquered the city and reestablished it as now the city of Jerusalem, often called the city of David because it was King David who conquered it. David knew that the, city, the Ark of God needed a home it was his desire to build that. God didn't let David uh, build the temple, but the tabernacle did come and rest in the city of Jerusalem. And so now here we have one city, one holy mountain the city was sitting on. The mountain is often called Zion. So Zion and Jerusalem are kind of synonymous terms. And so finally, the one God in all of creation has a temple on a hill where The people of Judah, the people uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel would come down and worship. But before David's life was even up, he laments in Psalm 55, the psalm that our introit comes from today, that everywhere he looks, there are people seeking his harm, seeking the harm of those in trouble and need. Jerusalem was rife with sin from the very beginning. The holy city was never that holy. It was never so set apart that people could look to it as the example of people living under the lordship and the kingship of Yahweh. And so the city was always in danger of being overrun either by sin from inside or because of the sin inside by the judgment of God from outside. The first time Jerusalem almost fell was in the reign of King Hezekiah and Isaiah writes about this in his prophecy. When the king of Assyria um, had come down and was conquering basically all of Israel, he destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. He was making his way through Judah, overthrowing city after city, and he comes to Jerusalem, and it looks like Jerusalem is about to fall too. But what happens is Isaiah comes to the king and says, Jerusalem is not going to fall this time. And sure enough, Uh, The Assyrian army, uh, according to the Hebrew scriptures, is visited by an angel which slaughters the vast majority of the army. We actually have historical records of this. It it wasn't discovered until a few hundred years ago. But we have the Assyrian account of this where uh, they conveniently leave off the, the loss of most of their army. But they do, in fact, confirm, we laid siege to Jerusalem, but we did not take the city. We went back to Assyria. And uh, they comfort themselves uh, by saying, at least we got some tribute from Jerusalem, from King Hezekiah, and so we, we went off. But our scriptures let us know that it was actually God's providence, God's protection that kept the city intact this time. What was the deal, though? That the city turns back to God. Did it keep that deal? No, it did not. Which is why another kingdom from Babylon decades later, came and finally did sack the city and carried off all the inhabitants to Babylon. It was after the sacking of the city, it was during this time when Jerusalem was overthrown the first time, that the presence of God was seen by the prophet in a vision to leave the temple, to abandon the place where the presence of God was meant to reside. Now, when the people finally left exile in Babylon and came back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the city walls. They rebuilt the temple. But guess what never happened? No prophet ever had a vision of the returning presence of Yahweh. The vision had seen the presence of Yahweh leave. No one had ever seen the presence of Yahweh come back. And this is the context in which Jesus is now walking around and teaching and preaching and healing. This is the situation of Jerusalem, when Jesus is walking toward it on his last journey to the city where he will be arrested and beaten and crucified, as he's walking toward the city, knowing what the city is going to do to him when he enters it, he weeps over it, knowing that no one had ever seen the presence of Yahweh come. No one knew how to see or recognize the presence of Yahweh when it did come because the presence of Yahweh was coming toward the city right now in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus weeps over the city, prophesying its ultimate end, this city of bricks and stones and mortar. He said, not one stone of yours will be left on another. Everything will be overthrown. This is a prophecy of what happened in 70 AD, just a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The old city of Jerusalem was overthrown and it was never rebuilt in any uh, form of what it used to be, the capital city of the kingdom of Judah. And so what does that mean? What happens when the city where the presence of Yahweh is supposed to be is finally thrown down and overthrown? Does God now have nowhere to rest in the world? Is the presence of God now lost to everyone forever? It is not. Because in God's goodness, having given Jerusalem many chances and Jerusalem failing over and over, God does something better. He had something better in store the whole time than one place where all the people in the world had to come to geographically in order to be in the presence of God. What God does is come to that place and he takes on our nature. He establishes a congregation, a church, an ecclesia around him. And he says, go out into all the world, baptizing people into my life and taking my presence with you. And so the church is now the presence of God. The church is now the temple in Jerusalem, but everywhere there is a church. And the church itself is the city. We have St. Paul in our epistle today describing how people... uh, in the church are given different gifts, different roles and functions, but they're all one in one spirit. This image of people working together with different roles and functions is often uh, used in the analogy of the church as the body of Christ. There are many ways to talk about the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and just like uh, different members have different functions, but it all works together as one body, so the different members of the church have different functions, but work together as one. But this is also an image of the church as a city, right? A city has many people, many different uh, members of a city with different functions. You have government functions, you have uh, artisanal functions, you've got functions of uh, those who feed the populace, functions of those who guard and protect it, functions of those who tend and care for those in need. Just like in a city, how there are different people with different roles, but all together are working toward the good, the spirit of that one city. So is the church as the new Jerusalem. And the city encompasses the whole life of the church in the world, right? We go out into the world functioning as this city, as the one church still. We have this dual function as the church. It's funny, the church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means a calling out. It's It's an assembly outside of the world. We come from out of the world to gather together, and we become the church. But then we go back into the world, still with our identity as members of the church, to transform the world, to extend the city of Jerusalem into the world. But that's the work out there. The way that we maintain our spirit when we're working out there is by coming here into the temple. And this is the Jerusalem temple. Make no mistake about it. It's not that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and that is over with and now we have the church. It's that the church is the temple. Everywhere the church is, everywhere a church is, is the temple of God. I used to think that that was the case. Back, you know, uh, growing up as a Christian, I thought the temple was something that was dead and gone and over with, and now we have the church. But it turns out all that has happened is that the the temple is now no longer in one geographical location alone. The church is now the temple spread across the world. Because what was the temple? It was the one place where Yahweh's presence was made accessible to people. Now, people couldn't enter the Holy of Holies, and we still have divisions in the geography of our church buildings that match and mirror the old temple design. But what happens here in this temple that didn't happen there? The presence of Yahweh comes out of the Holy of Holies, from the altar, and meets us here at the boundary where heaven and earth meet. That boundary was always there, but at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, The boundary was torn in two in the temple. The curtain was ripped, indicating not that the function of the temple was finished, but that the geographical limitation of the temple was freed. And so here we have the temple today. We are in the presence of God. He will come from the altar, out of the Holy Holies, out of heaven to meet us here at this boundary place, in this liminal space where we come from out of the world to meet God. That's what we're doing here today. And again, the purpose, the purpose is that we in one spirit will be joined together, function together so that we can take that life, the life of Yahweh out into the world and expand his city, grow it by feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, the sick, and the needy, giving our love and our time to those who need it. And giving up of ourselves, according to the pattern of Yahweh and his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. So today, listen to the words of the propers, how in the offertory, we will lift up our souls as an offering and that God will be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, the sacrifice made as our Alleluia just said in Zion, the vow that we are performing here in Jerusalem. We are in the temple. God in his graciousness has expanded what was once limited to all of us. Let us continue that pattern and expand his love into the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one, amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.